Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Encounter Grace. My name is Ben Hendricks, and as always, I'm here with you, Jason McKnight. Always a pleasure, especially on the other side when I get to do most of the talking. I love that. Um, You're going to do all the talking. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I just get to talk to you about all the stuff that you know. Uh, so today, I want to talk about something that, I mean, I've, mm. I've done a lot of thinking about this. I know you have as well. But it just kind of start off, like, growing up in uh, a world of Christmas, or at least in the season through Christmas. Where's the snow? I know. It's, it's hard down south, right? I've never... <laughs> I've seen any more snow than uh, when I moved to Louisville, we saw a foot and I was like, I didn't know what to do. Yeah, it's it's nice at Christmas, bad in March. Well, well that's fair. Yeah, once it turns brown and gross. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, so uh, I, w- I was thinking about this not too long ago. I mean, like as kids, we often are thinking about Christmas and mm-hmm. uh, kind of the things that we see at face value. So we're time off school, just yeah. the fun with the family. I mean, presents, candy, friends. The feast, the food, all of it. And so that's for most of us, when we think of Christmas, that's what we think of. That's what we see. And when we remember back, that's probably what we remember. Mm -hmm. But as Christians, we know that there is something behind all of those things, something more important that draws us out and also draws us in to what we often say the true meaning of what Christmas is. Mm -hmm. And so, Jason, when did it click for you that there was a bigger story behind Christmas. You know, it's, I, I mean, the bigger story behind Christmas, it, I'm not exactly sure, honestly, and maybe I was even too old to admit it. <laughs> but if it clicked for me, when it clicked for me, and I, I don't know, it clicked as much as thawed. Hmm. It kind of thawed and, or, or whatever, my heart was warmed into it. But honestly, it came through, I think, the Christmas carols and the music more than all the other stuff, like the family, yeah. the friends, the feasting, the gifts. All that still kind of felt like I was in the driver's seat. But as we'd sing these carols that we all loved because they were associated with Christmas, so they feel good in your head. Yeah. And then, and then as we, and it's like you're, you're reading these words or singing these words and you're like thinking about them. And this thing is about way more than me getting everything on my wish list, which man, when I was a kid, I had a long wish list and I never got everything on it. No, I always started off with the big things I knew I could never get just in hope. (laughs) Yeah, just in hope. Well, and again, we've talked about this a good bit before, just because thinking of how wild it is that there is this month and maybe a little longer for or maybe a little shorter for some people as well where we are drawn to something spiritual, to like a season of giving, to a season of open-handedness, to almost a season of spirituality where you turn on the radio and there's a song about Jesus. Uh, On the radio, on the top 40. (laughs) And yet for most of us, we we don't really marvel at the moment. Mm -hmm. And to have this season in the culture and the world that we live in is something to marvel at. And so what is it about Jesus that we really should marvel about? Because we don't want to just talk about the season, but Mm -hmm. what is it about Mm -hmm. actually Jesus that is worth marveling about? Well, I I got an answer for that. But even before, I actually think for us as believers to cultivate marvel, to cultivate wonder, to cultivate a sense of awe and wonder is 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 something that our culture has almost no ability to deal with. Like, yeah. like I almost think that as believers, if we, as we recover 
things at which we can marvel, we will awaken in friends, coworkers, and neighbors um, who don't know the Lord a part of their soul, a part of their heart that they aren't in touch with because hmm. our whole culture is cynicism, sarcasm, and um, and just blasé. <laughs> oh, these are my love language. What a... <laughs> and, and seriously, like God has created us to worship him. And so in order for us to be fully human, a cultivated sense of how to wonder, how to marvel at something uh, – is going to make us more human. Now, the problem also then is, well, maybe we can marvel at the wrong things and we make all these uh, created gifts into creator gods. That's not what we want to do. So what is it that we can marvel at and be in awe of at Christmas? I I think there's like, we could pick a hundred, but for today, how about if we marveled at the baby in Bethlehem? Yeah. (laughs) You know, what if we did that? And especially, specifically, the idea that that baby in Bethlehem is the creator God. Hmm. That very sentence should cause marvel in a thinking person. Hmm. I absolutely agree. I mean, just it's so easy to kind of just boil it down to a nativity set. Right. But I think if we really think about it, I mean, this idea of like the creator of all things Mm. becoming a baby, like the most powerful being ever, I mean, that there ever could be, he's God becoming, and Harper's just a year old, my daughter, I'm like, I'm thinking of a year ago, like, maybe not the weakest, but close, right? (laughs) (laughs) Helpless. Vulnerable, helpless. And why should, so I think what we want to talk about today is why, why does this matter? Mm. What is it? Mm -hmm. And then... Why should we take our kind of stop our schedules and take a moment to wonder about it? Yeah. So it's the Christian doctrine called the incarnation. So we're not making stuff up, but uh, Christian thinkers all the way through uh, have have thought this through. What is the incarnation? And we're talking the um, the making into flesh what is not flesh. Like God is spirit, and He's been been spirit for as long as He's been. Yeah. <laughs> and then at a certain point in our time, not his time, because time is a gift that he created. So it just gets a little metaphysical here. But this is why we have to have wonder. Um, he became flesh. He took on our flesh. So this is the center of Christmas. It's the center of salvation. It's the center of eternity. When we mm. stop to think about it, this whole mystery that the eternal God would step into time and space, not just for a moment or two, like a burning bush or a pillar of cloud, but to become intimately and totally enmeshed with Mm. creation, to become fully human with cells and blood and stubbed toes (laughs) and bedhead in the morning. Like, it's just unbelievable. You know, we sing in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. uh, One of those stanzas is, Ben, you do the tune, I'll do the words. (laughs) Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. And, and that whole thing is about the incarnation. Mm. God is veiled in flesh. He's the deity, but he's incarnate. He's just as we're pleased to dwell with each other. So God is, wow, this is unbelievable. Mm. And we go to John's gospel and he starts the Christmas story way back in the beginning. Because he says, John 1, 1, in the beginning, of course, he echoes Genesis 1. Yep. But he says, in the beginning was the word 
And the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created by Him. Drop down a few verses, and it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So this God, this Creator God, this eternal God, who, who is there even before the beginning, now has become one of us, is dwelling among us. I mean, I think that John 1, 14, the Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us, that's one of the greatest Christmas verses in the whole Bible. Amen. You should put a little, little Christmas wreath around that in your Bible. <laughs> <laughs> the eternal deity is now enmeshed in flesh. Or as you said in staff meeting the other day, God in a bod. Amen. <laughs> That's what we're talking about, though. This should cause us to wonder. Yeah. This should cause us to wonder. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that this all-powerful, all-knowing God... Become like this is the part that I often forget is he becomes not like I mean he he becomes his creation in a way right like mm-hmm. like I mean we're his creation we're in flesh and we're on earth and that's what he becomes I mean so far other than I mean we often talk about how God is holy and he's so different but he becomes like us like that mm-hmm. like, there's just such a powerful thought there like oh it's yeah it's it's like an, and you're like wait we don't want to say too much we might dance on heresy yeah like, it's it's just but it is so awe-inspiring and i think when you think about the like when you start to think about the journey you think okay god exists eternally before there's anything there's god and he exists forever father son and holy spirit in an eternal like perichoresis they the theologians would say perichoresis choreography choresis like dance an eternal around each other dance perichoresis and it's filled with joy and delight and goodwill and always trying to elevate the other and only thing that exists is god there's no angels no universe no planets no humans yeah but then he created the angels the universe the planets the humans but he's not them So we don't believe in pantheism where God is in everything, but they are distinct from him and he is distinct from his creation. So now there's two realities in existence, God and creation. And so he's distinct from it. But when Adam and Eve sin, not only is he distinct from it, because now they're dead in their transgressions and sins and every person born to them, all of us, are dead in our transgressions and sins, in other words, we're born separated from God. So now not only is God distinct from his creation, now he's separated hmm. from the very humans that he created in his image. And there's a chasm between creator and sinful fallen creation. And so how to bridge the chasm? What's he going to do? Well, the incarnation is the beginning of that answer. God's answer, not our answer. Yep. <laughs> we didn't make it up. God answered it. He built the bridge. The incarnation is the start of that bridge over the chasm. He's distinct from creation. Now he's separated from creation. He's going to become one with mm. creation in the incarnation, united with humanity in his image. And that's just amazing. God takes on flesh, blood, limits. Uh, he takes on the need for sleep and food, <laughs> the need to learn. Uh, it's just really unbelievable. Mm-hmm. The author steps into the story, the playwright steps onto the stage. I mean, we've yeah. heard those things before, but it's just that unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I love, uh, and you'd said this once before, I just remember, like, the, the idea of God became man and divinity became human. Like, that's, it's the yeah. divinity became human part for me that just always reminds me of how 
like wonderful and amazing this really is mm. because we could all just look at our own lives and go and we see how not divine we are and divinity became humanity like right. it was amazing and and i think and, and i think and we might get to this because i forget where <laughs> everything we're doing but yeah but when you stop to think about we're humans are created in his image it's almost as if he planned this <laughs> it's almost like he knew what was coming yeah because you know he didn't he didn't die to save angels you're right he just kicked him out <laughs> Uh, Philippians 2, the emptying, the setting aside of his glory. He doesn't empty himself of... In fact, one of my favorite hymns, uh, And Can It Be That I Should Gain an Interest in My Savior's Blood. You know, amazing love, how can it be? One of the verses there has a little bit of heresy in it, just a little bit, just to keep us on our toes. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race, it says. But it it's not true. He doesn't empty himself of all but love. He stays divine even when he empties himself of the glory he's due and he comes to earth Philippians 2, that emptying of the glory. I mean, imagine what it was like in the womb. Imagine what it was like in the manger. Imagine what... And of course, our babies, you know, they don't have memory of their first three days, their first three weeks, their first three months, Hmm. you know. And that's what's so unbelievable. The omniscient one experiences something without memories. Now we're really treading on speculation. Like, I don't know what it was like for the baby Jesus, but in order for him to share our experiences, don't you think? He had to learn a mother love and a father love from Mary and Joseph. Yeah. And and he could only learn it the way Harper learns it from Janessa and you. Yeah, and that's always the part of experience. I get so confused on because there is that experience, this omniscient God mm-hmm. now enfleshed who seems to, and we, this is where I have to tread carefully, but seems to have to learn through experience. Like th- there's such an powerful thing there, but that is part of that, like great hope for us, uh, of just mm. like, I mean, God coming for us, being there with us, knowing our struggles and knowing just our world mm. and who we are like to an experiential level. Like it, it's yeah. so encouraging. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also fun because what you've already led us into is that God did something new when he became man. And, and, if, and we can just think of it really quickly, uh, like A, God is spirit, B, God is omnipresent, C, God is impassable, he does not suffer, and D, he's holy, he's separate from creation. And all four of those things are turned on their heads. Mm. So again, now we're getting near where the heresy lives because we don't (laughs) want to say too much, but God is spirit. He is omnipresent. He is impassable. He is holy. And yet in the incarnation, the spirit takes on flesh, doesn't remove the spirit, transform out of being spirit, but he is the flesh and forever. Mm. See, he ascended to heaven. He resurrected from the dead and ascended to heaven. And now I, I, will rem- I remember this vividly in chapel at seminary where the British theologian N.T. Wright was there preaching. And he said, and I wasn't sure if he was right, but now there is a man at the helm of the universe hmm. because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is a resurrected human. Yeah, he came as God, but he is a resurrected human. That gave me wow. such hope when I wrestled through it and realized, oh my goodness, these bodies matter. He took on flesh. Second thing, God is omnipresent. Well, now for those 33 years, he wasn't. I mean, he could only be Hmm. at one place at one time. 
because he wasn't also in Galilee and in Masada and floating in the Dead Sea yeah. and walking <laughs> on the water in the Sea of God. You know, like, so the omnipresence of God and then the impassable, he, God cannot suffer. And yet for sure he suffered before the cross, for sure he suffered. Like the cross he yeah. suffered, but even just when someone would let him down or when his uh, earthly father, Joseph, would have died. I mean, just these things like that. I mean, I just read this morning my quiet time the, uh, at the Lazarus tomb. I mean, he wept. Hmm. I mean, it, just watching Martha, watching Mary, seeing the tomb, he wept. God suffers now because of the incarnation. And yes, God is holy in that he's separate and all the whole thing of the Old Testament is you've got, well, you've got the Ark of the Covenant you can't look at. It's in the Holy of Holies. No one can go in there. It's inside yeah. the temple. Only the priest can go in there. There's this gate around it and then that fence around it. And, you know, all this. So God dwells with his people. But, oh, my goodness, there's so many veils and curtains. <laughs> but otherwise, we'd be destroyed. Hmm. And yet now this holy God has found a way to come near and put his hand on a hooker. To love her. Hmm. I mean, this is the holy God who has condescended to be near us. If this doesn't cause us to, I mean, if you're driving, don't throw your hands up in the air right now in <laughs> awe and wonder. But this should cause us to be like, wow, God figured out how to come near. I love it. I just think it's amazing. Man, in the incarnation, God surprises us. He surprises God us. God is spirit. God is omnipresent. Uh, God is impassable. And God is holy. I mean, those are so helpful and they're encouraging as well. Like that, yeah. that's one of the things I love about the doctrine of, incarn of the incarnation. Like when we talk about big theological terms, a lot of us can just, we could just kind of roll our eyes and go, okay, whatever. I mean, it's just a term, but like, no, there's like actual hope that's entwined with this. Mm. And so what, let's talk yeah. about a little bit about that. What is yeah. like, what does it actually mean for us? Well, I, I think, I think the first thing is it, there is one, <laughs> I know the cross is everything, like the atonement is everything. Sure. But also from another angle, you can say, hey, the incarnation sure touches, this doctrine of the incarnation sure touches a lot of other doctrines. I mean, you can think with yeah. me here because you're smarter than me. <laughs> but first of all, we're touching on the Trinity hmm. because it's not God the Father that is incarnate. It's God the Son. So we have to have a developed sense of what the Trinity means. Secondly, it touches on creation because God enters creation. Thirdly, it touches on anthropology. What does humanity mean? I mean, he becomes a man, not a parakeet. That's <laughs> right. So what does this mean? So humanity, again, we said it before, created in his image. What does all that mean? That Jesus then is not only the second Adam, but the true human. Yeah. You know, I mean, what other doctrines do you see it touching on? Well, I mean, I, I think of redemption just in, as a whole, right? Like, so all of salvation hinges yeah. on the substitution of this one man. Mm. Uh, so resurrection as well. Yeah. So part of that. I mean, if Jesus actually became a person and he did, if he actually died and he did, and then he actually resurrected and he did, that means we can. Yeah. Like, the yeah. amount of hope that's in that. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, it's assured, right? Uh, how about, I mean, we, again, we talk about this one a good bit, like discipleship as a whole, that mm -hmm. we now have a model to follow. Right. And we're going to come back to that yeah, in a little yeah. bit because that's exactly right. Uh, and we can't go too far and down to it, but how about the one that we all love, a little eschatology as well. <laughs> the study of the end and the things yeah. that are coming. Yeah, you're exactly right. Because the, the, the whole study of the end is, re is linked 
to the return of the king. Yep. I mean, we were just talking about Tolkien before yeah. the, the podcast. The return of the king. Who is the king? He's not an angel. It's a man, God, who is man, coming back for us, yep. in whom he's placed God, because the spirit lives in us. Yeah. I mean, he's God become man. We're men becoming partakers of the divine. It's unbelievable. I know we're almost on heresy, but we're not. We're, we're, we're laying hold of these unbelievable truths. This thing called Christmas, the incarnation, God in a bod, uh, the baby in Bethlehem. Hmm. Well, it also kind of means it's not just that heaven came to earth for a little bit of time, but also that earth comes to heaven forever. Creation comes into eternity, the resurrection, the eschaton, all that kind of stuff. We rejoice at Christmas, God came down, but also Advent looks to the second coming, that we shall be with him forever. Uh, The third one that I think about, just kind of, it's a double-edged sword here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That the incarnation demonstrates that sin and sinfulness are, wow. Wow. Well, now you're making me cough. <laughs> well, this one gets me every time. <clears throat> you may have to finish up. All right. Well, I'll finish up. <laughs> uh, sin and sinfulness aren't essential <laughs> to being human. Yeah. I hope that's what you were going to say. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, is, it definitely is now. Yeah. Well, I, so the, here's the reason why I love this one. It gives me, it's a double-edged sword because it's the hope that, uh, you don't have to be the way that you are. Like, cause we all look at ourselves and yeah. we can't imagine a life or a day that goes by where we don't have sin in our life. Like <laughs> where I don't think that thought or I, I don't look at that thing or I don't do that, that action. Mm-hmm. But, but Jesus didn't sin and he was fully human. Like, so that humanity doesn't mean a necessity of sin. Like, right, right, right. There, there is an avenue and a way to walk and a way to be human and not be sinful. Amen. And the hard part about that is that's true and I'm not doing it. <laughs> like, right. and it's hard. So it, it's the reminder and the hope that, that you can, but also the conviction of I need, I, I, I should, like, or I can. Mm-hmm. Like, there, mm-hmm. And that's a hard line to walk to, right? Yeah. And thanks be to God for the spirit. Amen. Yeah. yeah because, but I think it also this, that sin is not essential. It also means the jerk in front of me. <laughs> He is not the sum total of his sins. It's true. And yeah. I need to look at him from God's point of view. Like, how does God look at him? And he, he grieves at the guy's sin, mm. just like he grieves at my sin. But it is so easy for me to box someone in and say, man, no wonder that guy. They'll, they'll never change. But that's not true because sin is not essential to being human. Yeah. And so in line with that, because it's so easy for us to write off other people because of their sins. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the amazing avenue of the incarnation is that God's incarnation was uh, like a just a evidence of his commitment to humanity. Amen. Like I write people off because they cut me off in traffic. And I'm like, I, I, I tell Janessa this all the time because of how frustrated I'll get with people or even, I mean, myself included in that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'd make a terrible God. Hey, I'm right. That's one of the most right things I've ever said. <laughs> never said anymore. And it's part of this is like, mm. even despite all that humanity has done, all that you have done as a Christian, like all I have done as a Christian, like God became flesh because it's, it's his 100% commitment to humanity. Like that, yeah. that's amazing. Like it yeah. really does just, yeah. it, I, I, it's such a cool thing. And then that leads into the next thing that it means for us is that uh, the incarnation of Jesus means this, that our salvation 
is also physical, corporeal, incarnated. See, we often think, or I grew up thinking, God saves our souls. And then the bodies yeah. burn, and the earth burns, and all that kind of stuff. The whole world will be destroyed. But Christ's incarnation, which leads to his resurrection, proves that this earth and our bodies and this flesh and our world will be renewed, renovated, not destroyed. Oh, it'll get taken down to the studs like a yeah. good renovation project. But then he's going to rebuild a better than imaginable hmm. world to inhabit. You know, if he gets rid of this world, Satan wins. I mean, the whole wow. creation project really in Eden got off track. Yeah. If this world is gone, the new heavens and the new earth is the renewed heavens and the renewed earth. Hmm. And um, he will purify it, Peter says, just like he washed it with Noah, he's going to purify it with fire. And it's this world recreated, just like in Noah's day, this world mm. recreated. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. But salvation is physical, corporeal, matter-oriented, not just spiritual, metaphysical. Mm. That's another thing we learn, another reason the incarnation means so much to us. Mm. I also think maybe lastly of what it means for us kind of just is that Jesus wasn't afraid to call us brothers, wasn't ashamed to call us brothers or sisters, brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to be like us. Hmm. Hebrews 2 tells us that. Um, God loves family. And the incarnation is sort of the avenue that he says, here's how I'm going to adopt them. Hmm. I'm going to send their older brother first. <laughs> Jesus might become the firstborn among many brothers. Hmm. And I just love that. So even the incarnation is linked to our the, the glorious doctrine of adoption, which we're kind of in Romans 8 at church, and so we're rejoicing in that. But he's adopted us. Never going to change. Wow. There's a lot here. Yeah, amen. So I, I'm not sure we need to say it, but let's say it to make it as clear as possible as we can. Why then is this such an amazing gift? Like, why is the incarnation so amazing? Well, I think we can wonder and marvel and be amazed at the value God places on humanity yep. and on creation. I, I think I don't place that much value on it, honestly. Yeah. I, I have a hard heart towards people. Yep. And, and I, I try not to, and I ask the Lord for help. <laughs> but, but gosh, when, when we see that Jesus became a human, when he became a baby, when he became a middle schooler, <laughs> a high school student, 20-year-old, 30-year-old, when we see that he walked our journey and stood in our place and died our death and rose from the dead so that we also could. I mean, the value he places on us. So it's an amazing gift because it actually says, this is how much you're worth to God. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think a second way is yeah. part of the incarnation is this really amazing idea of that because Jesus lived on earth, he could model perfectly for us what it looks like to be a human or to live as a human. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, so uh, what my favorite part of scripture is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And I then, try to avoid that. Yeah, uh, well, it's, 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 it's very punchy. Yeah. Uh, well, I just write it all <laughs> off. Yeah, you know, the, the, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, and so through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us this picture of what it looks like to live a flourishing, but also just a, a godly human life. Mm. And so right there at the end of chapter five, he says this, uh, I, this 
phrase and he says be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect i think it's right at the end of chapter yeah, five yeah uh, and the word there is telos right and so the idea there is perfect huh. is is wholeness and and being well like being yeah who god is and being whole and so the beauty of this is that the he- your heavenly father is whole and we go well great that that can mean whatever that can mean for a god who is all spirit but he doesn't right. have to go to his work he doesn't right. have to he doesn't have to walk with all these people but yet he did. I mean, 2,000 years ago he lived, and he lived a whole life. And we got to see what that looks like for a omniscient, omnipresent, sovereign God to walk amongst people. And we saw that in Jesus, and we saw how he lived, we saw how he talked, we saw how he acted, and what he did for people, and how he spent his time, and all of those things. And so for me, like there, there's so much hope in seeing that, like God has made it clear what to look, mm. how our lives should look, and that's a tall task. Yeah, but it's a it's a hope filled one as well. Mm-hmm. So He's the model for what true living looks like. Yeah, and isn't it like even when we even when we go to YouTube to learn how to change, you know, our garbage disposal in our kitchen sink, mm-hmm. we're looking at a model. Sure. Like, like if someone just calls you on the phone and says, okay, do A, B, C, D, and E. Or if someone writes it in an email and says, do A, B, C, D, and E. It's just hard. But when you can watch them and when you can see how they twist and, you know, and they're telling you all that kind of stuff, the model, it just, it just makes all the difference. It does, yeah. It just makes all the difference. Well, I think a third way this is such an amazing gift at Christmas is that it gives us courage to keep on keeping on in the hard things in life because jesus knows what it's like he did it too he got hungry he got tired he was misunderstood he was kept at a distance Hmm. he was used he was taken for granted not to mention betrayed denied (laughs) unjustly treated suffered gross injustice in the courts wrongly executed not to mention all those things (laughs) yeah just the regular stuff (laughs) he knows what it's like to have a bad haircut Hmm. Actually, I wonder. I don't know if he does. I don't know. Yeah, sure. (laughs) But he knows what it's like to have a great meal or to be hungry. Hmm. And he knows what it's like. And and all those, the range of human experiences, he's been out on them, except without sin. Hmm. He just never sinned. But he kept on keeping on. He kept on keeping on. And this is the glory of the gospel. We can access that sustaining grace from the Lord because he lived in our lives and then he died for us so that now that he's risen he's pleading with the father on our behalf he's like oh but father it really is hard Mm. (laughs) you know not that god is anything but tender and willing you know god the father but here's jesus saying yeah i remember what it's like to uh be lonely Mm. and he's praying for you in your loneliness with his loneliness memory and you can say you know he learned obedience from what he experienced jesus had to experience things it was it's just amazing yeah. so gives us courage to keep on keeping on i mean i just think that's it, it's not again it's not the um the king in the castle way up high just pointing his finger saying just keep doing it uh he's like oh i'll get my hands dirty with you hmm. let's keep on keeping on hmm. i really do think that like the incarnation really is one of the greatest aspects of our faith. Like mm. the thing on which everything hinges. I mean, so much of the faith hinges, right? And the reason why it's such a great aspect. I mean, some of these things that we've just said because of the amount of hope and joy mm. that's mm-hmm. a part of them. That if 
we know how to live now. And we know we don't have to be terrified of terrible situations because the Lord has walked in them. He's not removed from them. He lived in them. Yeah. What a hope and what an amazing thing is the incarnation. Yeah. No, I think so. And it, and it, and it can and should, and the more we dwell in it, can drive us to wonder hmm. and awe. And just in our, in our prayers, just saying, Lord, let me know more. Teach me more. But I just want to worship you for this. And I, I think some of the Christmas carols, like we started with Hark the Herald Angels Sing before, but so many of them marvel at the incarnation. My, one of my favorites is, O come all ye faithful. And I, I think it might be the last verse, but yea, Lord, we greet thee. Born this happy morning, Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him. Like, now in flesh appearing. Come, let us adore him. So, let's have some wonder. Amen. Thank you so much just for walking us through this. I, I think, to me, it was helpful. I think probably everyone that listened, it was helpful just to be able to clarify and help set the pace for of this season of all the things that you can look forward to the one thing to look make sure you're looking at is the incarnation because everything about christmas has flesh on it yeah so friends as you're going through the season look towards it and see all that god is inviting you into and the joy and the amazement he has before you let's go this is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.